Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Monday, December 12th. So as many Americans celebrate the return of Brittany Griner, but many Republicans not so much, have you wondered at all why Russia cared so much about getting that armed smuggler back? Victor Boot had been imprisoned in the U.S. for over a decade. Was he anything to Vladimir Putin that Brittany Griner is to so many Americans? Have you wondered about that? Well, it's starting to look like, yes, he really is. It turns out Boot has immediately used his freedom to join a radical Russian political party that supports Putin's invasion of Ukraine and denounces the West in general, liberalism in particular, and, oh, LGBTQ human beings specifically. As The Guardian reports this morning, the so-called Liberal Democratic Party that Boot immediately joined, despite its name, Liberal Democrat, has, since its foundation in 1991, propagandized an ultra-nationalist and xenophobic ideology, urging Russia to invade countries of the former Soviet Union, and Boot, parroting much of Putin's recent statements that blasted liberalism, predicted the end of Western civilization. He's quoted by The Guardian saying, what is happening in the West is simply the suicide of civilization, and it may be happening in all areas with drugs and LGBT plus among them, said Boot. And how far is that from Donald Trump Jr. writing that the U.S. traded for Brittany Griner rather than U.S. Marine Paul Whelan, also in captivity in Russia, to improve the Biden administration's diversity, equity, and inclusion score. He said that. Many other Republicans echoed Trump's sentiments, if a little less directly, but there were Boot and Trump Jr., both somehow using this prisoner exchange in the last few days as an occasion for white heterosexual male grievance. And that's where we begin on a Monday in the Christmas season with the traditionalist saying goodwill toward all, whatever happened to that. With us now to talk about that and other Monday morning politics is Susan Glasser, Washington columnist for The New Yorker, co-anchor of their weekly podcast, The Political Scene, and co-author with Peter Baker of The Divider, Trump in the White House, 2017 to 2021, one of the best-selling political books of this year. Susan is also especially well-suited to the topic of Griner and Boot, as she spent four years as the Washington Post's Moscow co-bureau chief. She's been editor of Foreign Policy magazine, and her previous books include the one called Kremlin Rising. So, Susan, great of you to join us today. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you so much, Brian. Great to be with you. And let's start on the Russia side of this. I was wondering why they still cared about Victor Boot. Now what I'm reading makes it look like it might be for pro-Putin celebrity backup to the extent that Victor Boot is a celebrity. How, how does it look to you? Well, I mean, look, uh, you know, Putin will take uh, all the support. This is essentially the official state ideology of Russia at this point is uh, the kind of uh, ultra-nationalist, 
uh, absolutely exclusionary, anti-gay, uh, and everything else rhetoric. This is this is what Putin has created in terms of an ideology for the the modern Russian Empire he aspires to create, and Boot is obviously endorsing that. But remember, he is. Uh, essentially was one of the world's leading kind of underground arms dealers when he was eventually uh, uh, arrested and prosecuted in the United States. And so he may bring something more than rhetorical support to bear ultimately for Putin's war in Ukraine. And I think that's the thing to look out for. I was, you know, thinking about uh, all the, uh, you know, examples during that long war of the United States in Afghanistan when there would be, uh, you know, Taliban or Al-Qaeda uh, prisoners ultimately released and they would soon enough turn up fighting again or in the fight again. I think Victor Boot is going to be in the fight again. That's interesting that he still, it suggests that he still has some kind of power to influence the outcome of wars or the outcome of where arms uh, move from place to place. You know, all Americans know about him in, generally, in general is that he's called the merchant of death and he's called a notorious arms smuggler. But after all these years in prison in the United States, what power over anything arms related or military does he have? Well, that's I guess we're about to, to see that in action. Right, Brian? I mean, I, I think, you know, those relationships that he built up over decades, uh, you know, do they still exist? Obviously, Putin's military is stretched to the extreme. They are using uh, not just uh, the official Russian military, but groups such as uh, uh, the Wagner Group, which is essentially a Russian uh, mercenaries who were fighting in Syria, in the Middle East. Uh, and in other conflicts around the world, in Libya, for example, uh, what are uh, Victor Boot's potential ties outside of the boundaries of Russia and its official military complex? That's something that I'll be watching out for, for sure. Um, the fact that he said specifically LGBT, uh, as he put it, LGBT plus, would contribute to being the end of Western civilization, that was coming out of Victor Boot's mouth immediately upon return. Was that, besides being hate speech, a very undignified swipe at the American he was traded for, Brittany Griner being black and gay and vocally proud of those things? Well, it certainly could have been. Uh, remember, again, this has been a pillar of Vladimir Putin's uh, sort of ideological rhetorical assault on the West is to imply that Russia under his leadership has become the kind of bastion and guardian of uh, traditional quote unquote values. And that is one of the many ways in which Putin has sought to make common ground, common cause with, you know, extremists in the West. Uh, in fact, by saying that, you know, their culture has become decadent and that he is, you know, the guardian of a much uh, quote unquote, pure culture. And so I think it's very consistent. Victor Boot wanted to please the man who just sprung him from U.S. prison using that kind of hate speech, as you termed it, is, uh, you know, exactly the way to please his master. Let me play a clip of U.S. Special Envoy Roger Carstens, who was the person deployed to meet Griner at the point of exchange and accompany her home on the plane. Carstens was on CNN State of the Union yesterday. Listen. When she finally got onto the U.S. plane, I said, Brittany, you must have been through a lot over the last 10 months. Uh, here's your seat. Please feel free to decompress. We'll give you your space. And she said, oh, no, I've been in prison for 10 months now listening to Russian. I want to talk. 
But first of all, who are these guys? And she moved right past me and went to every member on that crew, looked them in the eyes, shook their hands, and asked about them, got their names, making a personal connection with them. It was really amazing. And then later on, on an 18-hour flight, she probably spent 12 hours just, just talking. And we talked about everything under the sun. And I was left with the impression that this is an intelligent, passionate, compassionate, humble, interesting person, a patriotic person, but above all, authentic. Imagine being that person. I mean, of course, imagine being Brittany Griner and everything she's gone through, but imagine being the American who greets her and rides home on a plane with her and listens to her talk and is in conversation with her for 12 hours. So, Susan, as a foreign policy journalist, as part of your background, do you know Roger Carstens or that intense job he's apparently had a number of times of greeting U.S. hostages upon release? Well, it is a very intense job that's actually gotten more intense in recent years. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not just the Russians who figured out uh, that holding prominent Americans uh, is a way to gain leverage and bargaining power with the United States. And so we've seen, you know, North Korea is another example. Uh, Iran is another example that increasingly uh, the world's rogue re regimes have turned to this kind of uh, weaponized uh, arrests of Americans. And so it's become an ever more important job. Remember that the final, the fourth and final national security advisor in the Trump administration was Robert O'Brien, who had that job as the um, hostage envoy. And, and Trump, uh, you know, elevated him uh, with very little other experience to be the national security advisor. Uh, I should point out, by the way, we were talking about the Trumps and uh, Brittany Griner earlier. Uh, you know, it, Trump has publicly criticized the Biden administration for uh, not being able to secure the release at this time of Paul Whelan as well. You see this on the right. It would It's important to point out that Whelan, in fact, was in Russian custody for two years of Trump's presidency, and Trump obviously did not get him out and was not able to arrange a trade with the Russians. Listener tweets, not sure how this boot news is surprising. Maybe he does believe the things he says, but of course he will kiss the ring of the leader that freed him. Let's go to a phone call. Kylie in Northern Virginia, you're on WNYC. Hi, Kylie. Hi, good morning. Um, so two things, let me just say as a disclaimer. Number one, I'm super, I'm just elated that uh, Brittany Griner's been released. I just, I am. And number two, I cancel cable, so I don't always watch cable news. So maybe my question, like maybe people have been saying this and I just don't know it, but I feel like we could have guessed that the conservative right would have something to say about, um, you know, about releasing, about the trades that the Biden administration made for, for Brittany Griner. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, it feels very naive. I wonder if, you know, the Biden administration could have taken the air out of some of these anti-black, anti-gay, anti-DEI, right, attacks from the right and kind of meet meet them where they are to give a really, like, quote-unquote, American message just to deflate this because we knew it was coming and it just feels like we kind of handed, we being, I don't know, empathetic people, it just feels like we handed them mm -hmm. a chip almost. And so I just wondered about your guest's reaction to, to that thought that I'm having. Yeah, great question, Kylie. Thank you. And and I did notice in that clip that we played that 
Carson threw in the word patriotic in his description of Brittany Griner. Uh, but what do you think about Kylie's, Kylie's question? Yeah, I think trolls are going to troll, unfortunately. Mm. And, um, you know, Donald Trump Jr. is almost the personification of that. Uh, And his father, there's a reason we titled our book about Trump, The Divider, uh, you know, when there's an opportunity to separate Americans uh, out uh, and against each other and use them against each other. He has, generally speaking, chosen to take it. I I think the Biden administration had a very difficult choice uh, when Russia refused to entertain uh, uh, the swap for Paul Whelan. In fact, uh, you know, as um, has been reported in the Times the other day, they actually proposed uh, wanting to swap Paul Whelan for essentially a stone cold killer, an assassin uh, who had killed someone in cold blood in Germany. And, you know, that was just too far. The Germans wouldn't wouldn't think of it for understandable reasons. And, you know, that left the president of the United States with a very painful choice, you know, which is to bring one, but not both of these hostages. And that's what they are home. And so, um, you know, we'll see what happens uh, to Whalen going forward. Putin, I did notice, very explicitly said the other day that he did not rule out future negotiations and future such trades. So, uh, you know, it's not entirely uh, impossible to imagine that that Whalen can get out at some point, too. But uh, I think it was a very painful and difficult choice. Kylie, thanks for your call. And on Biden not ruling out future trades. Here's one more clip of his envoy, Roger Carson. Carson's on CNN yesterday. In this one, he responds to the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Bob Menendez of New Jersey, who's a Democrat, who seems to also have been critical of the prisoner swap, not on any identity grounds, but Bob Menendez saying, we must stop inviting dictatorial and rogue regimes to use Americans overseas as bargaining chips. So here's Biden's envoy, Roger Carstens, on CNN with Dana Bash, responding to that. Well, I'd say that um, it's important to to note that people that are held overseas are important to us. And that's kind of the, uh, where I'd say I start when I look at the question morally. Was it bad to trade someone like Victor Boot? I think the question is, it's horrific to leave an American wrongfully detained in a foreign jail cell. Is it going to incentivize? Um, are there say, bad actors? Let me say this, but there are bad actors. We used to say the, uh, the other side gets a vote. And in this case, it's hard to keep these dictators and these dictatorial governments, as uh, uh, Chairman Menendez said, from taking Americans and trying to use them as bargaining chips. So, Susan, how tough a call is that? The tension between winning freedom for Americans and not incentivizing more hostage-taking. This is hardly the first time this question has come up. Well, that's right. And it does seem to be a tactic, uh, you know, that is preferred by nations like North Korea uh, and uh, Iran to a certain extent that that want to... uh, be in a position to have something to negotiate with the United States over. And it is it is a very difficult problem, maybe the most difficult problem. I, the thing that keeps striking me is how uneven this trade was and how, you know, it right. I mean, the nature of the quote unquote offense of Brittany Griner was so vastly different from that of Victor Boot, uh, you know, a, a global bad actor, arms dealer, uh, you know. And so, again, you have this asymmetry and it gives Russia a leverage and a power completely disproportionate, uh, which is why it's a favorite tactics of, of outlaw regimes. And frankly, that's what Vladimir Putin's uh, government of Russia has become an outlaw regime. 
And here is Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema, a Democrat no more, explaining why to CNN's Jake Tapper, Tapper had just cited to her many Democratic Party priorities that Cinema supports, including expanding health care access, abortion rights, LGBTQ rights, a path for dreamers, and green energy. And Cinema said, I know this is really hard for lots of folks, especially in D.C., but what's important to me is to not be, to not be tethered by the partisanship that dominates politics today. And I think Americans are tired of it. I think Arizonans are tired of it. What I'm interested in is working on all those issues that you just mentioned that I care deeply about and that I believe my constituents care deeply about. But I want to work on them in a way that is productive, that is free from the trappings of the pull of the political system. You know, the national political parties have pulled our politics farther to the edges than I've ever seen. I want to remove some of that, kind of that poison from our politics. I want to get back to actually just working on the issues, working together to try and solve these challenges. Kirsten Cinema on CNN last week. And listeners, I know there's reason not to take that statement purely at face value, which we'll talk about with Susan Glasser. And Susan Glasser, how much do you take Cinema at her word there about fleeing the polarization, looking for a better way? And how much is this about the fact that she stood a good chance of losing a Democratic primary in 2024 in Arizona because of how she has blocked some of Biden's agenda, even as a Democrat? Well, there's no question, Brian, as you pointed out, that she was uh, looking at a very tough road to renomination uh, as a Democrat. Uh, Ruben Gallego, a popular congressman from Arizona, uh, actively contemplating a primary. Now she won't have a primary, but of course, there's the possibility that if Democrats nominate Gallego or someone else, uh, that you and she runs as well, that you could have a situation where you could uh, tip the seat to the Republicans. And that might even be a, a likely scenario at this point. And so, you know, you can't, uh, uh, the fantasy of a kind of viable, successful, independent party movement has been around, uh, you know, ever since really Teddy Roosevelt gave it a shot uh, mm. more than 100 years ago. And uh, no one has really successfully been able to break the chokehold of the two-party system. Uh, the structural incentives are just too too strong there. Uh, in the end, ultimately, Donald Trump, who flirted uh, as well with uh, independent runs for office, that's why he chose what uh, you know his son-in-law at one point called the hostile takeover of the Republican Party, because uh, it, it it proves to be in our system. Uh, uh, the the way to real power is to weaponize one of the two parties, not to abandon them. And so we'll see what happens to cinema. But in the short term, I think it's important to note that there's not going to be all that much change in the Senate as a result of this. She is not going to caucus with Republicans. She's still effectively going to get her committee assignments from Democrats. She's still very likely to continue voting with them on most of the major issues. And uh, so people are not anticipating a radical shift uh, in her as a result of this announcement, which does seem driven by the politics back in Arizona as much as by anything else. So let me ask you one closing question on Trump versus Biden. And we may be seeing Trump versus Biden again in 2024. We certainly may not, but we may. Uh, You wrote an article 
just recently about the aging leadership of both parties and whether they're equipped to take the country into the future. And I wonder if you could just state your basic takeaway as we run out of time, because one could argue that young Democrats and young Republicans are quite similar on the issues to older Democrats and older Republicans, just depends which one, like Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders within your party. So so how much do you think age is really um, determining people's views as opposed to the ongoing partisan polarization? Well, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's not so much an ideological question as it is a question of, uh, you know, the kind was required uh, to lead the country through grueling, demanding times. And uh, it is remarkable that we have such uh, advanced age leadership in both the Republican and the Democratic parties. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, is the oldest United States president ever uh, before him, Donald Trump was. Uh, and, you know, we're dealing with a situation where they'd be both parties' nominees. You would have, uh, again, you know, the prospect of four more years of people presidents in their 80s. If Biden was reelected and serves all the way till the end of his next term, he would be 86 years old. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's a legitimate issue that's going to be a big issue for him if he runs for reelection, uh, whether it's against Donald Trump or not. Obviously, Trump is not very much younger than Biden. So in that sense, we're talking just about a gerontocracy that extends to both parties. Although with the series of wins that Biden has had recently, both on policy and the lack of a red wave in the midterms, uh, do you think, as the letter from Biden's Washington columnist for The New Yorker, that any Democrat would primary him in 2024 if he does choose to run? You know, it doesn't look that way to me now. Uh, you know, certainly there are many Democrats who are eager to get in an open race. And I do think that if uh, Biden does not run, Kamala Harris does not have a, a, a free path to the nomination. She would face, I think, a lot of contenders getting in to the field against her. But as far as I can see right now, uh, if Biden chooses to run for re-election as a Democratic nominee, he's very likely to get that Democratic nomination without a big fight. Susan Glasser, Washington columnist for The New Yorker, co-anchor of their weekly podcast, The Political Scene, and co-author with Peter Baker of The Divider, Trump in the White House 2017 to 2021, one of the notable political books of this year. Susan, we always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.